With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casello, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy, uh, ooh, what week are we in? Uh, I don't know. We're still like a full week away from college football. We'll watch it 10 days, so. You know what? I guess uh, that's a thing. But, but working in the media, we've never, we've never actually left college football season. That's true. College football season is forever. Second. It is. And uh, I thank the good people at, uh, at ESPN and other outlets for making this, uh, this 24-7 media cycle possible. Yeah, especially for what is probably like the shortest season in like major sports. Um, it really does not end. Yeah, not, not for a second. I know, uh, I know on Podcasting Played Nobody this week, Bill Connolly was talking about how... Um, was saying that his his uh, like easiest time of the year is actually like right now. Now that he's just about done with SEC, he gets like a week and a half, two week reprieve, um, and then he kind of starts in like right after the national championship game. Um, I know for us, like we get we get most of the time we get December um, for, from a Syracuse perspective. But I know like by the second week of February, I'm usually previewing future opponents too. So yeah, it's not like this. Uh, not like this ever goes away, and uh, that's not a bad thing though. Uh, content's good, eyeballs on on articles are good, but in general, it's just it's it's fun to be able to talk about even a team like Syracuse, and I think that's where you know a lot of us get a lot out of college football is that even a team that you know a winning record isn't a given, and 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 there is no national title, uh, you know, hope for for you know most Syracuse fans. Uh, we can still manage to talk about the team uh, most of the year round. Yeah, I mean, especially for Syracuse, as we have two other pretty good sports, like, there really isn't that much downtime because once, you know, college basketball's already going, once college football rolls around, but even just for college football, like, you have, you go right from the championship into, you know, recruiting really heats up that end of January, early February, and then there's just always something going. Spring rolls around pretty quickly, so there's, like, a little bit of a, a lull in, in, in May, but then recruiting he, heats back up, and, like, this is kind of a slow period, but we're literally 10 days from, from actual games, and there's obviously all the news from camps and whatnot, so it definitely uh, finds a way to sustain itself for uh, for 12 months, which I guess is, is something to be thankful for when you're in our position and, and need stuff to write about. Um, it, uh, even more so than just, like, maybe even eight years ago. Um, so you probably also thank the internet for that. Yeah, thanks, internet, for, for this and so many other things. Um, the internet, always so good, all the time. Except when it's, when it's got off. <laughs> um, 
Anyway, um, Dan, you started mentioning recruiting. I felt like that would be a good segue into, you know, kind of our first topic before we get into uh, this is the ACC football preview episode. Uh, for those who didn't read the uh, name of the episode before you clicked. So we'll be talking about the entire ACC. We won't really touch on Syracuse a ton, if only because SU gets its own standalone episode next week. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll be jumping into that shortly. But before that, uh, some great news on Wednesday. Um, Edward Hendricks, one of uh, Syracuse's top uh, targets in the 2018 recruiting class, uh, decided to commit to SU. Uh, I thought he was going to commit this weekend, but seemed like he just couldn't wait. Uh, Dan, this is great news. He's a top 500 guy. Uh, he's a definitely like a top 60 to 70 receiver in the country. He's exactly the type of speed height combo we're looking for. Um, this seems like yet another big win um, for what's turning into a pretty interesting um, and, uh, and surprising to, to some of the national folks uh, recruiting class for the Orange. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a big-time recruit. Um, I, looking at his offers, like uh, he has Arkansas, uh, Kentucky, Louisville, Michigan State, UNC, Mizzou, UNC, NC State, yeah. UNC, Wisconsin, West Virginia, like Virginia Tech, um, those are some. Those are the schools that, if you're beating them for recruits, you're doing a pretty good job. Um, and I think to a man, doing it this early, like it's not just you know, oh, guys had like offers that weren't admittable or whatever. Like this kid was clearly uh, you know sought after by a lot of schools, um, and it, you know th- this is shaping up to be the best class we've had since uh, before I started following the team. Um, maybe I mean, G Rob had some decent like rated classes, but. Uh, best, best. I mean, going back that far, it's it's about a decade, honestly. Um, you have Tyrone Sampson, who um, is clearly one of the best offensive linemen in the country. Uh, Forced our die pretty much across the board. Um, dominated at at uh, the opening, which is always a good thing, considering that's where every big player is, ends up going. Um, Hendricks looks like a borderline four star. I think ESPN has him as a four star. Uh, I think we saw there was something yesterday or today where a Trillian Williams, uh, Trill Williams is like right on the cusp of being a four star guy on one of the sites, um, which, you know, we always talk about like the star ratings only mean so much. But what I mean, if it means anything, it's that they're turning heads and, and, and there are, you know, analysts who feel strongly enough to consider them like one of the elite blue chip players. So there's a fair chance at Syracuse to wind up with like three, two or three of those blue chip guys and. You know, we've been in a position where we, we maybe get one a year, and it's like a borderline. And now Samson's pretty, like, solidly that. Um, Hendricks and Williams are right there. And there's still, you know, a lot of space in this class, and, and Syracuse is going after some big guys. And uh, just even down the line, like, there, there aren't a ton of guys here that are that seem to be reaches that don't have other Power 5 schools involved. Um, they're all pretty solid uh, recruits that were sought after by other big programs. So... It, it just seems like a, a solid step above, like, pretty much all the recruiting classes we've had since, you know, 2006, 2007. Oh, at least. And, you know, like I said, somebody mentioned in the comments earlier today, like, you know, we're looking at maybe already, like, what, 9 or 10, like, top 1,000 kids. Like, that's kind of, you know, unprecedented territory in some ways, at, at least in recent history. Um, like you mentioned, too, it, it, we're getting, you know, it's not just – it's not just like the, the, the typical offers, not just the typical types of kids. Like I know uh, Kadir White's another uh, offensive tackle. He's a four-star guy, and he's four-star across the board. He's got offers, I believe, from Notre Dame and a bunch of others. Like he, he's the type of name that, that SU would be glad to just add him, and we could potentially again have you know him, Hendricks, uh, Trill Williams, even if he doesn't get upgraded to a four-star, uh, would be huge. Obviously, Samson. Like we could be looking yeah, if we have three or four 
uh, a four-star kid. I mean, that, that's, that's unprecedented territory in the recruiting rankings era uh, for the Orange, which is insane. Um, and in general, you know, we mentioned earlier too, like getting, getting kids like this to commit when they have these types of offers um, is, is just enormous. And this is, this is shaping up to be a great class, and you're starting to see it too with, like, who's covering it. I mean, uh, Steve Wolfong over at uh, 24-7, the recruiting director over there, he, uh, he's now written two articles about Syracuse in the last three days. Uh, that's, and he wrote about them last year as well, but this is not the type of, we're not the type of program that, that, gets, that gets pressed because we typically don't move, uh, you know, clicks and page views uh, for the recruiting site. So for us to be able to get, you know, mentions and, and, and articles about, you know, Dino Baber's momentum and, you know, talking directly to Hendricks about why he committed to Syracuse, like these are all, these are all very positive things, and while they don't mean anything on, on the field yet, um, they do mean a lot towards, you know, the perception and, and, mo- and momentum of this, this team now is we're up to 13 guys. we got 10 on the offensive end. Um, the glaring holes are going to be now on defense, and if we can – we're going to need to close on at least a few um, defensive linemen that might mean flipping some kids. So having, again, like three or four four-star guys, that's how you uh, – you know, build momentum at a very critical stage in the in the cycle. You know, right before the season starts, and then now we're going to spend, you know, the the in season portion of things solidifying those kids, and then also using those uh, commitments to to attract some some bigger names on the other side of the ball. Yeah, I think what's nice too is that this isn't a huge class already. Like thirteen is a solid number to have uh, at this point in the game, but like we've had years past where we've had like twenty people in the class and. You know the rankings are kind of inflated because of that. Yeah, right now, thirteen's about yeah. Schaefer's last year, we like, and that's you know there there was something to be said. Like I think Wisconsin's already finished its recruiting class. Uh, obviously, there's a chance they lose a guy or two, but like they're kind of full up, so you can play defense. And if those are the guys you really want, you can feel good about it. So it's not the worst thing. But like right now for Syracuse, I'm looking at twenty four seven. We're ranked fifty uh, fourth, but I think we are. Forty uh, second in average, like average ranking, and there's like if you just looked at some of the teams ahead of us, um, Purdue has twenty one hit guys, uh, Rutgers is eighteen, Texas Tech is nineteen, USF is twenty three, uh, UVA is twenty, BC is nineteen. So like, uh, Syracuse volume is like, the, yeah, they're, well, yeah, either the volume classes or you know there just isn't a lot of room for them to grow. Where Syracuse, you know, still has roughly half the class to still add in maybe maybe ten more guys. Um, and I think looking at this, uh, the, the number here is that it's the 42nd ranked class in terms of average, uh, average star ranking per player. So, you know, that would be a huge step forward from where, you know, 54 is about where Syracuse has been the last couple of years, but that's, you know, finishing out. Um, there's only really room to go up here considering, uh, what, you know, the amount of room left in this class SU has when so many of the teams ahead of them, you know, are pretty, uh, pretty stocked. Yeah. And again, I really like what we're seeing so far. I mean, just about every guy uh, that's committed, say, you know, one or two, has some really big-name offers. We're seeing some SEC schools mixed in there, some of the upper echelon recruiting teams in the ACC, uh, you know, not just the typical names like uh, Purdue and Indiana and Rutgers in, in the Big Ten. So I, I definitely like what we're seeing, but um, the work's definitely not done yet. And I, I think, you know, Dino Babers is, is very, very, uh, you know, conscious of the fact that, that this team is going to need to close on defense and especially in the defensive line. So should be a very, very interesting um, cycle. And it should also be interesting to see how this staff handles the, uh, the early commitment date um, that, you know, is, is being implemented for the first time for football. Um, 
it'll be it'll be telling, I think, too, because it's that is a late December date. We'll already know about where Syracuse finishes if they're going to a bowl game. We don't know if they win or lose, but we will know whether or not the season was a success by that point, I would think. Um, so I think we'll have a, a very, very good gauge and, and much better than normal um, of the class going into January uh, this coming year. So yeah, should be uh, should be fun, and I, I know both of us are kind of looking forward to uh, to seeing how this shapes up. Yeah, and that December date, I think Syracuse is one of the teams that should really benefit from that rule change. Yeah, because then you don't have to have kids from Miami showing up to campus in the middle of January. Well, that, and you don't have, like, other schools losing kids and going and, you know, offering on January 29th and getting them. Right. <laughs> so, um, I know there's, like, debate whether or not the rule change is a good thing, but overall, like, I think if the players just play the th- play it the right way, it's, it's going to be okay for them, and it, you know, could just take pressure off but it's undoubtedly good for a middle tier power five team like syracuse i think yeah i i am very excited i know i wrote this when, when the rule was passed i think very excited for what what syracuse can do uh, and it should be fun to see kind of how the staff adapts as well um you know after that december date goes and to see who's who's definitely in the fold and then who needs to be kind of solidified should be a fun fun i mean not for the coaches but it'll be fun for the fans to kind of to play that game a little bit yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and I think that finishing your like around, you know, the top 40 ish area is going to be, I think you'll make some noise, especially if Syracuse, you know, can win six games this year and be one of the more exciting teams. I think that's when you start to really uh, sway some of the public opinion of the program. Um, you know, obviously Marone had it some bowl years, but it was in the Big East and uh, the recruiting never really followed. Like it, it, it I think it would have. I think if he had not left, that class would have been really, really good and we lost a bunch of guys. Um, but this is a really a chance to, to make that step forward. And a bowl would be great. I don't necessarily think it's the be-all end-all. I know we were talking about this a little bit before, but um, just seeing progress and if people stay healthy and, and we can kind of start to figure out the defense a little bit and then sign like a, you know, 40 to 45th ranked class with uh, a, an exciting offense, I think then we'll, we'll really start to, to know what we're, we're building here, which uh, is exciting. I, I, I think we, we kind of see the destination off in the distance and this year you could really take a huge step forward um even before i think a lot of people probably expect couldn't agree more um one last thing before we get into acc stuff uh, i know i put up an article today about uh records that could be broken this was something that i was tracking on a weekly basis last year plan on doing that again this year um dan are there any records that stand out to you as the most exciting or, or surprising records that could fall this season uh, I'm looking through it now. I think the ones that jump out to me are Dungy's just because um, he's just playing like a totally different ball game than the rest of the Syracuse uh, quarterbacks. Even Nassib, like he had a pretty high, you know, high-powered offensive senior year, but it wasn't what Dungy's going to be in this year, assuming he can, you know, put together a full season, which is a whole other question. But um, just seeing what he can, like the moves he can make on this list, and he's already pretty far up there. A lot of them, I think, he's eighth all-time in passing, and. Um, you know, he hasn't even had a chance to, to go for a 3,000 yard year yet. So um, I'm really excited to see what he what his uh, his output is. And, and hopefully he puts together a full season because then we could really have some fun next year, um, assuming he stays and everything. And, uh, you know, if he doesn't, that means he's going to the NFL, which is probably a good thing for us. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think if Dungey's in a position to, to leave early, I think that probably means things went really well this year. But overall, I think... Uh, if he's in a spot to head into a senior year and shatter all the records, I think that would be a really fun thing. But it requires him to, to put together some 
some pretty solid numbers this year, and I think he will if he uh, can stay upright. Yeah, I mean, I said in the article too, like some of these numbers that he needs to like reach are pretty conservative. Like if he hits, as I said in the post, if he hits 3,000 yards, which, I mean, while it's only happened one other time in school history, he was well on his way to doing it last year. I mean, technically he could have done it in one more full game. Um, even if he gets to, even if he hits 3,000 this year, um, you know, he'll be well within striking distance uh, of the top mark. I think the only, the only one that might be a little bit of a stretch is probably going to be McNabb's uh, 77 passing touchdowns. Uh, yeah, Dungy hasn't, like, gotten into the end zone, you know, with any, like, super frequency. So that, that's probably the one that he's going to fall short of. But, you know, he could put together a, a crazy 35-touchdown year or something. It's not that, that wild to think about. Yeah, now that we have a end, uh, maybe a better yeah. offensive line the next year or so. And, you know, Ishmael's still a really nice uh, target there. Um, it's not that. I mean, I'm trying to th- how many did he have last year? 15 in essentially think he had, eight, still, eight games. You think he still had 11 passing and he had another five on the ground. Was that it? No, I think he had 15 through the air. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. He had 11 his freshman year. So, like, had he played, uh, not attending the Clemson games, he only threw nine passes. Like, had he played 12 games uh he would have gone for over 4,000 yards and uh 22 23 touchdowns like it's not that that wild to think he could throw for 33 um if he ups his game and Ishmael takes a step forward and adding uh Ravian Pierce and an offensive line hopefully gelling obviously we've had some injury issues there but it's not like there's not that much to, to do. Like, you don't need to go take a, a huge leap forward to think that he could go for a 4,000-yard, 30-touchdown season if he stays healthy. Like, that should be around the range that he's he's looking looking at. No, 100%. Um, I know one, you mentioned leap of faith. Uh, one thing on this list that would be a leap of faith would be, I think, Irvin Phillips and Steve Ishmael uh, tying Rob Moore. Um, on the touchdown list. Now, Rob Moore caught 22 touchdown passes um, in his career as an orange receiver. Um, we've touched about this quite a bit, that uh, Syracuse had never had a really prolific passing game. When the offense has been good, it's been good on the ground. Um, so the record books are obviously indicative of that. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot of records that, that Ishmael and, uh, and Phillips will be able to, to hit and surpass this year. Um, I, I think the receptions marks, I mean, Phillips is going to be the all-time leading receiver um, by the end of this year, it's really not going to take uh, much effort as long as he stays healthy. Uh, Ishmael could actually become the second orange receiver to ever pass, well, third, sorry, to ever pass 200 uh, catches in his career if he gets to 88. That might seem like a stretch goal based on what he's done to this point, but, you know, again, this is going to be Ishmael's first time as the primary primary receiver in an actual offense Um and with, you know, chemistry with a with, with quarterback that is thrown to him now for two straight seasons. So I, I, I don't think it's that much of a stretch to see, um, you know, Ishmael get to something close to, you know, the 88, uh, t- the 88 receptions he'll need to, uh, to get past Alec Lemon's current 201 mark. Uh, but yeah, uh, Phillips, Phillips ha- has that surpassed without much issue, in my opinion. Yeah, especially because Amba Natawa's not here, and and while I think we all expect big things from from Steve Ishmael, and I think you know the rest of the offense will hopefully take a a step forward as a group. Like Phillips was was very good last year, but it wasn't like he was 
playing out of his mind to get those 90 catches. Like, it just kind of happened pretty naturally, which is scary to think about. So, I agree. I think he will get there. Cool, cool. Uh, all right. Some other records in here, but I think most of them are pretty run-of-the-mill. Um, so, read the article if you haven't. Uh, and now, uh, we're going to start on some ACC stuff before we get to halftime. So, Dan, who is the best player in the ACC this year to you? Obviously, there are several players you could nominate. One in particular probably stands out above the rest, if only because of last year's exploits. But who is your uh, player of the year, if if you had to pick right now? Uh, It's boring, but it's so hard to go against Lamar Jackson. Um, He's just so dynamic uh, and, and frightening and does so much for his team that it's really hard to, to see him not uh, putting up, you know, just crazy numbers. Now, I do think there'll be, it'll be harder for him to win the Heisman again this year because there's always that, like, expected, you're expected to just take a step forward. And if he just replicates what he did last year, even though those numbers were absolutely crazy, um, I don't know that he would win again. Right. But I, I'm not super comfortable with enough people, enough of the other players in this league uh, to say that someone else is going to, like, take the ACC Player of the Year from him. Um, now, who the best player is, like, full stop, it's probably Derwin James. Um, Florida State safety slash everything. Um, he's just so versatile. He's one of those guys who probably won't, uh, you know, pop up on, like, the Heisman list or anything because he plays defense, but he won't, like, have, you know, the 15 interceptions or something stupid that you'll need to, or, or just being... Uh, Manti Teo, which was enough to get him there. Um, but uh, he's easily one of the best players in the country, probably the best player in terms of just, like, full impact um, outside of, like, the weight that is led to the quarterback position in the ACC. So those are the two guys. They're not all that surprising, but I think it's hard to to come up with two better ones, honestly. Yeah, I, I think that the, those are both pretty accurate. I think Jackson... Jackson pound for pound is probably going to put up the best numbers, and I think he's the best player. This is where I like the fact that that college usually goes the player of the year route instead of the most valuable player route, because I feel like by going most valuable player, um, Jackson might get shorted there. But I feel like here he's actually, you know, given his due. Uh, where things could get interesting this year is the fact that uh, Louisville is replacing a lot of their wide receivers. Uh, they're replacing running backs. They're replacing most of their offensive line. Uh, the weapons that he used in order to put up those numbers uh, will be going away. I mean, granted, last year's offensive line, while a little more you know, experienced than this year's, they also had him on his ass quite a bit. Um, Jackson was constantly under fire, especially as last season wore on. I think, you know, not to turn this into a Louisville bashing, bashing session, but um, you kind of saw... And we've talked about this before. You, you saw the, the difference between the way um, teams like Florida State and Clemson and LSU were able to, to uh, recruit and, and, and create depth versus a Louisville has made great strides and is probably a top 35 or so program in terms of you know, inbound recruits annually. There's still that, that gear that they can't uh, you know, shift into, and, and not to say they, they won't be able to eventually, but you did see that wear and tear um, on those guys, and you saw it on Jackson too, kind of as as, as the hits, you know, eventually amounted to something. Um, and, and this year they could again, um, if if this young offensive line, you know, can't protect him better than he was protected last year. Yeah, the wheels definitely came off down the stretch last year. 
um, especially in that Houston game uh, where Ed Oliver just all world <laughs> absolutely ate Louisville's offensive line alive and just ruined Lamar Jackson's day. Um, and then losing to Kentucky is just a disaster for them. Um, they'll still be very. I mean, they'll, I think they'll still be quite good. I think uh, them being, you know. Pennsylvania's the third best team in the conference is probably appropriate just on the strength of having Jackson and, you know, some some decent returning uh, players on defense and, and Bob Petrino does know how to coach. Um, Plus, who else would you put there? Yeah, also, like, are you going to buy NC State, really? Or is that yeah. what we're doing? Because it seems to be what a lot of people are doing. Nope. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think Miami's interesting. I think Virginia Tech is interesting. Like, there are other teams that might leap up and, and, and grab that number three uh, crown since the the top two seem pretty unimpeachable this year, um, even Clemson, which is kind of rebuilding. Um, but Louisville is definitely the most comfortable. Because honestly, if you have a Heisman winning quarterback, like that solves a lot of your problems. Yeah, and and I guess that uh, the quarterback issue actually allows for a nice segue. Um, two of the other teams that we've mentioned already, uh, Clemson and Miami, are starting over uh, at quarterback, and that could make things very interesting for both of them. Uh, Miami as uh, one of the conference's, I think, best front sevens. And I think that Clemson does as well, but mostly by just the fact that they've recruited so well in the last five years that there there's just a, a large collection of, of blue-chip talent there. But it's not necessarily as proven as Miami's is. Uh, but we shall see uh, you know, what that comes to bear. Dan, which team do you think is going to struggle more in the early goings with a young quarterback this year? Do you think it's going to be Miami, um, who really has like no one who, who's taken any any reps, or do you think it's Clemson? At least some they have some semblance of, of a pecking order and a bunch of five star guys, well four and five star guys um, that can line up under center. Um, it's interesting. I think both the, the two schedules kind of parallel each other. Um, Clemson has Auburn in week two, I believe, right? Um, they have Kent State and then Auburn. Uh, so they have like a very nice first game to get their three quarterbacks who I think they are, they plan to play all three, um, some time. And then they throw them right to Auburn, which is a, a pretty ferocious defense. And also like could sterile, could sneakily be like one of the breakout offenses. I think we talked about them a couple weeks ago, um, because Jared Stidham, who is now officially the starter is, uh, potentially going to be really, really good. Um, Clemson's definitely, I think, the higher upside. And, it, you know, it is the defending national champion, so that's no surprise. Uh, Kelly Bryant's played a little bit, and it sounds like he'll probably be the starter day one. Um, I expect Hunter Johnson, who was uh, the, you know, five-star, I think it was like the number two quarterback in the country, yeah. um, will probably end up winning that job. Kind of like It's very similar to what Deshaun Watson did his uh, his freshman year. Like, they, they started, uh, uh, what was his name? Um no, 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 no. Uh, other guy who was... Uh, oh, God, this going to drive me crazy. I feel bad. Uh, Cole Stout. Um, they started Cole Stout uh, for like half the year, and then Watson basically took took over. Um, I think they had a big Georgia game uh, early in the year, as they did for a couple of years, and, and Watson was pretty much playing down the stretch in that game. And then they, I think midway through the season, Watson just started starting, and then he obviously got hurt, and Stout took over again at the end. Um, I assume, like, I think Dab already said he's not going to redshirt Hunter Johnson, or at least he's not, you know, he plans to play him in September. So it sounds like it'll be kind of uh, his job to, you know, take over, uh, kind of similar to what Watson did with Stout uh, leading the way. But, you know, Kelly Bryant 
is a four-star guy. Um, he's played a little bit. He does have ability, so it's not like he's going to be the easiest guy to usurp. And he's a junior, so he's you know some some experience under his belt, just being on campus and being in the system. Yeah, and I mean where things are going to be a little bit different for for Clemson versus most teams in this situation is they do have that early test against Auburn. Yes, it's at home, but Auburn could be a very good team this year. Um, you don't necessarily have the luxury of, of just breaking in the offense and all that. Putting in Brian at least early, uh, rather than throwing Johnson to the Wolves, might be the better call, even if Johnson ends up winning out the job eventually, because at least Brian has a better handle of the offense. He's been exposed to it more. Um, obviously, this team replaces a lot of pieces that headed to the NFL um, this past year, but... You know, if you if you want to hit the ground running and if you want a better shot of beating Auburn, I, I think that that Bryant's the call. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of agree. Uh, I, I'm oh, that's what I was trying to say. The Miami thing uh, is kind of similar because they have Florida State in Week Three, um, so they have kind of a similar situation. Uh, although they don't have the kind of established guy like Kelly Bryant uh, to to deal with there, so. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm interested to see what, like, Clemson, I think they're obviously going to play, uh, you know, to win this year. Um, you can't really follow up a, a national championship any, any other way, but it, the way they handle Johnson will be, uh, pretty interesting, I think, just because, um, there are, like, different points of view as to how to handle a freshman quarterback like that. And we've seen them kind of model, uh, you know, do the Deshaun Watson thing, and that worked out fairly well, although, at the time, there was some controversy about how he played, you know, through injury and stuff. Um, but otherwise, uh, it's it's going to be, you know, it, there's it, it makes you wonder how who's going to like actually um, give you the best chance to win from day one um, because Johnson definitely seems to have the talent edge, and, and it sounds like he's impressed in camp. But um, Bryant does have that little bit of experience, and and against a team like Auburn, like that might be enough. Um, so we will, we will see. It'll be a fascinating thing to track, I think. Yeah, I think that that, that game between Clemson and Auburn is just a, a fun one in general because I think – I don't think it's going to tell us much, to be honest, about either team, um, but, but it is going to set the trajectory of, of both teams, I think, for at least the early uh, month, month and a half of the season. Um, it's, it's a non-conference game. That said, like if Clemson wins and let's say – Alabama beats Florida State in week one, like, there, there is a perception edge that, that Clemson is, is, is able to just exploit versus them and, and Louisville early on. Um, that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to beat either, but it, it's possible. Um, and then Auburn, if they lose, that, that kind of gets the, the, you know, Tigers fan base out there feeling at least a little on edge, you know, before they even get into SEC play where... Uh, there are, you know, a lot of potential landmines in the West, um, in particular LSU and Auburn. So, I know, sorry, LSU and Alabama. I think that, you know, Auburn could easily go 9-3 and three and it'd be a successful season, um, even if one of the losses is to Clemson. But, yeah, should, should be not telling, but, but should establish a narrative, at least early for both, uh, no matter what happens. Yeah, uh, I'm actually, like, not looking forward to the possibility of Florida State and Clemson both losing in the first two weeks. Like, as much as I don't have any, like, real love for Clemson, uh, just, like, for the ACC, I, I could... 
Yeah, there, seriously, like, it took us so long to get to the established narrative that, like, oh, the ACC is actually pretty good, and uh, maybe, you know, I think it was hard to argue against them being the best conference last year uh, when all was said and done. Um, I think it would probably reverse itself very quickly if the SEC won those two first two games. SEC back. <laughs> yeah. Is the SEC back and better than ever now? Oh, yeah, I, I, I can see that. I can see the fine bomb stuff. It's going to be bad. Uh <laughs> I think we and that's, have... it's totally plausible too because it's not yes. like either of those like and and you know Alabama might just be a little better than Florida State especially in week one Florida State's still trying to figure stuff out um, hopefully we do, hopefully we take at least one of those two uh, the ACC even though I think we are both like kind of bullish on Auburn and and that should be a very fun team uh, so yeah Florida State you win <laughs> yeah I'm fine with do, that. do it for us if please they're, if they're gonna go one on one please Florida State the Alabama. Um... On that note, why don't we go to some halftime, and then we can talk about the Knolls uh, when we get back. Um, so, Dan, what have you been drinking of late? I know you've been traveling, so maybe some, some interesting brews. Yeah, so a couple weeks ago, uh, I was at a wedding in Massachusetts, which happened to be right next to Rep Stallion Brewery up uh, in Sturbridge. Hmm. Uh, I had a couple things from them. Uh, their honey, uh, I think it was a honey pale ale was pretty nice drinkable like pretty standard nothing too out there but just very nice flavorful um drinkable they had a blueberry uh kind of the same deal like pretty pretty good blueberry um not as you know heavy on the flavor on the the fruit flavor as some others um but went down really nice and then they had a rye ipa which was solid um and then i also had some sequence from dogfish head uh which i've talked about before like great great summer beer and uh, last weekend I was in Las Vegas, and I didn't have that much beer, but I did try uh, Peace, Love, and Hoppiness from Big Dogs, which I believe is a local Nevada brewery, um, which is a really, really strong uh, IPA, I thought. Fair enough. Um, Some things that I had. Uh, I had uh, Brewery Tarot, their uh, Frucked Mango. It's their uh, Berliner Weiss series. They added Mango, too. Um, ends up I didn't have Sierra Nevada's Tropical Torpedo before a couple weekends ago, which is weird. Uh, so I had that. Actually pretty good. Um, had from Hop Saint right nearby. Their uh, Southern Hemi um, IPA. Actually ended up getting a 32-ounce uh, a growler of that. Went down to Beachwood in Long Beach and had uh, the Skull Pint. It was their, uh, since uh, Ballast Point moved in to a, a facility nearby in Long Beach, and they're obviously owned by a larger company, and Beachwood is not. Beachwood has been uh, kind of poking the bear a little bit, so they have uh, this beer, the Sculpint, which is a uh, basically a Sculpin clone of what Sculpin, to me at least, used to taste like um, back when it was you know among the, the best IPAs around. Uh, from OEC Brewing over in uh, Connecticut, so you had uh, Odellis, it's a sour lambic, that was uh, really, really good. Had probably one of my favorite beers of the year. Um, Brewery Tarot's uh, Tart of Darkness with uh, raspberry and uh, cocoa. Super good. Um, nice balance of, uh, of you know, those, those adjunct flavors plus still the, uh, the very tart beer that I enjoy. Um, and then the other night had a, uh, from the brewery as well, had a, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. It's a... Gebert Strangs. It was a uh, Black Forest cake type beer, which was was very interesting. It was an Imperial Stout that also had, um, you know, some some 
tart cherry additive. So yeah, that was that was everything that I've had of late. Cool. Sorry, my I have my normal. Uh, I'm using the old school headphones again because I'm out of not my apartment. So we had our fun. Uh, can't get my unmuted thing to happen. <laughs> Didn't it old school. It happens, it happens. Um, so yeah, mentioned before, uh, talking about the Nulls, Dan, um, the, the key question, can Florida State win the national championship this year? Uh, sure. <laughs> um, I don't totally expect it, but uh, I don't expect it at all, I guess. But um, they definitely have to be in the discussion. Uh, they have a bright future uh, with at quarterback, DeAndre Francois. I some people I saw were like less uh, bullish on him. Um, wow. I think he's. I don't really know why. That's I thought he was super good. impressive last year. Uh, he got killed last year and just never, like, looked like he was he was shook at all. Like in that Ole Miss game, his first I think his first start, uh, the big comeback I mean, win. Like humbling. they were hammering him, and he just kept on coming back and making huge throws. Um, now, they lose Dalvin Cook, which is a big loss. He was one of the best, maybe the best pure running back in the country last year. Um, but they have a, a whole host of, of blue-chip players to plug in. They're one of the best recruiting teams in the country every year. Now, Cam uh, that's, gonna be, I think he's going to be able to fill that role pretty well. I mean, that's not yeah, Cam Ak- from Cook either. Cam Akers is, is filthy. Um, and they, you know, they bring back... Uh, you know, there, there, are, there are concerns at the still positions. Um, they lose, I think, their top four receivers. Um, but, you, I mean, this is why you, why you recruit, honestly. Um, they have Nyquan Murray back. They have Auden Tate back. Um, both juniors. Like, they have some some guys who haven't been, like, hugely productive players for them so far. But they are uh, experienced. And they're plugging in, you know, um, freshmen all over the place uh, with four and five star talent i think like aside from alabama and ohio state probably the most purely talented roster in the country um so i'm i'm not very concerned about i'm there might be some growing pains because they do replace people uh a little bit like you know at at spots but you have a quarterback um hopefully the offensive line plays uh at a higher level this year than it did last year uh because as we said francois got, got rocked a lot um but you also have Derwin James on the other side, who, as I said, maybe the best player in the country, regardless of position. And, and uh, yeah, and he missed like half the year, uh, probably more than half. I think he got hurt in September, maybe early October. Um, and he just it, the the defense should be very good. Um, and they really peaked at the end of the season, which is is good to see. Um, I think Bill C does his like third third of the year breakdown and. They finished the year four and zero. They had a huge win over Michigan, who obviously was missing a couple guys. I think they finished actually seven and one after a three and two start. Uh, to say the, the crazy loss to Louisville and they lost to Clemson, obviously. Um, but this is a team that was like playing its best football at the end of the year, and combined with you know the youth that is coming back and taking a step forward, like I I get why everyone's very excited about Florida State. I, I think there are enough questions to not totally buy into them being like a national championship favorite, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if they wound up in the playoff at like 13 and or 12 and one or something. Yeah. I've got them as a playoff team. I, right now I had them losing to Alabama, but then I had them running the table from there. Um, I just think all their toughest tests other than Alabama are all have bigger question marks than they do. Uh, Clemson, obviously we've covered them already. 
Uh, Louisville, same deal. Like Florida State's going to have a very good pass rush. And if you have an offensive line that, that can't stop that and, and a quarterback that, that gets sacked frequently, uh, that just sounds like a, a bad combo. I understand that, um, you know, Louisville obviously really handed it to, to Florida State last year, but I, I think that the roles are not going to be reversed on the scoreboard, but I, I think Florida State's going to come away with that one. I, I can definitely see Florida State being able to run through uh, this ACC schedule. Um, it's not like they're going to blow everybody out. Um, they're going to get tests from the two teams mentioned earlier. I think Miami as well. But uh, at, at the same time, like this, th- this looks like one of those years where where FSU is just kind of kind of own the conference. I've got them. Think I have them as a number three in the playoff right now. Maybe number two. Depend. No, I think number three because my not my number one was USC. My number two was Alabama. That's not to say that I think Alabama is a lesser team than USC, but just based on my expected resume going into the playoff. I think it's also fair to just use Sam Darnold as a trump card where you can. Yeah, that's fine. I don't don't really have an issue with that because I I think quarterback play, yes, it's put on too much of a pedestal at times, but I, I think that, you know, in their case, um, you look at that schedule, and I mean, we talked about the Pac-12 before, but um, that's going to be a key differentiator for them. And I think for Florida State, too, you know, having Francois um, come back, I think, you know, he played, I think he played well enough last year, and I think that's going to translate into better results this year. Um, him being one of the few, um, you know, really experienced quarterbacks in the ACC is definitely going to help the, the Knolls out um, and, and lead to, to quite a few wins in my book. Yeah, the ACC definitely has some work across the board in replacing quarterback. I mean, we've already talked about Clemson and Miami. Um, Francois, like, definitely, aside from Jackson, obviously, is has got to be the solid number two in terms of stepping in and, and the team, you know, having a very established guy. Obviously, Syracuse is pretty up there with Dungy. We feel pretty good about that. But even he, uh, you know, still needs to prove that he can play a full year where Francois um, took similar abuse and, and never really... It never really seemed like he was all in that all that much danger of uh, being out for extended time. So, um, Florida State should be in, in a good spot. What else is new? <laughs> it's right. it's they've been very very good uh, since that national. I mean, the, even the year before the national championship year, like they are very consistent. They recruit really well. They plug players in. It's it's not a super you know crazy mystery as to why they uh, win ten or eleven games every single year. No, it is not. Um... Yeah, you know, you brought up the fact that Francois took a lot of hits and probably more than Dungy did. Um, although I would say Dungy, too, the issue there um, in terms of, you know, how many hits he takes. I think Dungy was taking unnecessary hits and, and hits after, after rushes that, like, Francois took off with the ball, but uh, not to the same extent that, that Dungy did. I think he might have made just some smarter decisions. But Francois is actually smaller than Dungy, uh, which is surprising something I just didn't anticipate. I was just looking at the roster um, for FSU. So uh, Dungy, maybe maybe watch a little bit of FSU, take some notes. Uh, we want you on the field as much as possible. I actually didn't realize that. Francois did run 74 times, um, so that's not like nothing. But uh, he definitely didn't. Like I feel like his big hits weren't in the open field. It was like him in the right. pocket getting, getting rocked. Yeah, and a lot of it, too. Like, I mean, he got blindsided a couple times, and a couple times he missed, like, a series. But, um, 
you know, he, he wasn't getting just like completely leveled in the open field like Dungy was. Yeah, he did have a lot of fumbles, which is a problem. Yes. Um, nine fumbles, four losses. Uh, but overall, like, I, I, I think he's, I don't know, I wouldn't quite put him on like the like sneaky Heisman candidate, but I think he's, you know, maybe in like the third tier of guys where it, it really wouldn't shock me if he blew up in a big way this year. I have him in the second tier, if only because of how good the Knolls are going to be. That's fair. Like, if there's like a, you know, lack of of crazy uh, huge Heisman candidates, and like his team is just undefeated, and he has like really good numbers, it could be one of those. Although I think with guys like Jackson and Darnold, and and even Rosen and and Baker Mayfield, like I think there are, there are enough guys who should probably outdo him numbers wise. Where I'm not like gonna bet on him or anything, but. Again, he could take a, a huge step forward because he is—he is a young guy, and and they have you know plenty of talent around him. So, um, I'm excited to see him. He was one of my favorite players to watch last year, even as a freshman. So, uh, I'm I'm definitely a, a fan, and and you know seeing him beat Alabama week one would be pretty uh, pretty nice. I buy it. Uh, transitioning to a team that neither of us buy ever uh, since we joined the ACC, um, NC State. Um, there's a lot of people that are really high on the Wolfpack. Um, I feel like we say that every year, but this year in particular, um, there is a lot of you know top 25-ish talk, uh, largely predicated on the defense. Um, Dan, you first. Why don't you buy into NC State? Because they're NC State. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're, they're, yeah, they're, the they're just always... The most consistently okay team in the country. Right. I, I'm just... I, I'm not blown away by the offensive talent. The defense should be very good. Um, they finished, I think, 11th in SMP last year, which is, is very, very good. Front seven's uh, in the country. I'll, I'll, yeah, their front seven's that. no joke. Like, Ryan Finley's a nice quarterback. Uh, I think he's, you know... Yeah, he's fine. Like, 3,000 3, yards, 18 touchdowns, completed, you know, what, 243 for 402. So, that's not like... Sterling or anything, I think he's uh, you know, just over sixty percent. He's a fine player. I think you can win games with him. Um, they lose Matthew Days. Uh, they have some other. They have a decent other running back stable uh, with uh, Gillespie and a couple others. But you know, he was their big workhorse. He had almost twelve hundred yards and ten touchdowns. Uh, you know, they have a, a nice group of receivers returning. Jalen Samuels is quite good, um, but no like guys that are blowing your doors off. Um, it's just like a, a, a nice team that returns a good amount, but there just isn't the game-breaking talent um, that makes me think. Though. Yeah, that that the Clemson or Florida State. I just don't see them challenging there. Maybe they win eight games this year, which is a nice step forward for them. Um, the defense again should be really, really good, um, and they return like everybody, which is scary in the offensive line. I think they return uh, four or five start. Maybe I'm not sure four or five starters, but they they return the bulk of it. Okay, which is good, which you'll sign for. Um, Yeah, front seven's nasty. The secondary has a couple guys back. That's going to be the the question mark there, um, which in this conference could be an issue um, with, you know, in the division where you have Francois and probably Hunter Johnson by the time they play and Jackson and Dungy. Like, maybe not your, your, the best area, but at the same time, some of those teams had questionable offensive lines, so the front seven did have people problems. So, yeah, I can see where people think NC State will be pretty good. I just don't see, like, nine wins or anything. I think they'll, they'll, they will probably win, like, you know, they could go seven and six again. Maybe they can step up to eight and four. Um, but it, it, I'm not going to, like, I'm not in love with this team by any means. 
No, I, I completely agree. They also just never win a big game. Like, they just do not win big games at all. The last big game they won was that 2012 game against Florida State. Yep. And also, it wouldn't surprise me if in week one they lost South Carolina. <laughs> oh, that could definitely Which, happen. Yeah, that game's like a total toss-up. Um, they're probably on paper better than South Carolina, but South Carolina uh, is more talented and has a, a really nice young quarterback of their own and Jake Bentley. So, um it would be a very NC State thing for them to, to drop that first game in a game where they'll probably be favored by a couple. Like, I don't know if the line's out already, but I assume they're going to be favored by like two or three. Um, I I would take NC State at anything because I think NC State will win that game. I would take them at anything less than like minus five. I think they let me win, see if I they have they win by a touchdown. Yeah, I think on paper, like, I would feel most comfortable with that. But then, like, in the back of my mind, it'd be, you know, I'm just going to think, like, even though this is South Carolina, and South Carolina might end up being, like, not good this year. Um, they might end up being, like, you know, 4-8 and eight or whatever. Am I really going to pick State to win this game? Um, <laughs> considering, like, this is not, like, they just they just don't win. Especially, like, the, 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 the biggest name win they had last year was probably that Notre Dame game. Notre Dame was terrible. Right. They almost beat people all the time. Clemson. Clemson, um, Florida State a couple years ago. They've almost, lost uh, us. They've almost choked away games to us numerous times the last few years. And that, I think that's where my lack of faith in them comes from, is the fact that SU has been god-awful every time we face them, and we haven't had our starting quarterback in just every time we faced them for the last three years, and they've still almost lost all of those games. And then the one year we did, we beat them. Right. So, I'm looking to see what the line is in that game. So that's the NC State slander. Um before we leave uh, Raleigh in our, our, our travel around the uh, conference, I'm looking at the schedule. I've got a loss to Clemson. I've got a loss to Louisville. I've got a loss to Florida State. Um, I've got a loss at Notre Dame. Yeah. And then I think they, I think they lose one of the game against us. And they lose at least one of versus South Carolina, Syracuse, at Wake and North Carolina, one I think they lose at least one of those four, which gets them down to seven and five at best. Yeah, I mean that sounds about right. Um, at FSU, they're not going to win. Louisville, like they have Louisville at home, which is nice. I'm still going to take Lamar Jackson to beat them. At uh, Pitt, Pitt's going to be a kind of rebuild, but they're at Pitt, and that could be a weird game. At Notre Dame, like you said, I don't think they'll win because Notre Dame should bounce back. Clemson. Um, yeah, I mean, I think at, you're topping out at like eight and four. Even if they're even if they're like a good deal better than they have been, I think you're topping out at eight and four. Like they need to, because not like nine and three would be winning all the games that you have to, and then stealing one of those against the, the four like name opponents there. And that's I just don't see all of that happening for this team. Yeah, uh, Dan, I know we're almost out of time, but one talking one more team that we never believe in, um, Pittsburgh. The, the non-rival to end all non-rivals. Um, the Panthers and Syracuse had a very fun game last year. Unfortunately, Syracuse on the losing end of that. Uh, do you think SU can beat Pitt this year? I know a lot of people are still high on the Panthers. I'm not really sure why. When they lost their quarterback, their main running back, uh, most of their offensive line, um, most of their defensive line, and half of the secondary that was god-awful last year. Yeah, I, I feel pretty good about the pick game. Um, like you said, I mean, you kind of outlined everything there. 
Uh, Peterman, who was sneaky, quite good last year, is gone. James Conner uh, is gone. Um, they've lost uh, Dantes Ford, one-time Syracuse player, who was uh, really... Yeah. Um, they just they they are are definitely rebuilding a decent amount off the line, like you said. That shredded. I think their entire front four basically uh, is gone. Um, their defense has just like lost a ton, and the defense wasn't very good. So I guess you can make the argument. Yeah, which is unbelievable. Um, what do you do? I guess you. That's the weird thing. Like I don't get how he's coaching such a poor defense. Not just such a poor, like the worst defense. <laughs> Yeah, he was such a good defensive coordinator at Michigan State, and it's like I get that he needs a couple of years, but it's not like he like it wasn't his first year. Um, and Jordan White so, had an NFL player. Yes, so I feel pretty good about it. I mean, assuming that they're not going to catch lightning in a bottle at quarterback again. Obviously, Peterman wasn't like a game breaker. Um, Max Brown is he eligible right away? He's uh, he transferred in last year, so he's eligible now. Okay, okay, so. Obviously, he wasn't, like, great for USC. There's a chance, you know, he'll be at least a decent game manager for Pitt. So, he could work. They forget, like, he didn't really play that much. (laughs) He didn't really play much until last year, and then he lost his job pretty quickly. Um, It wouldn't shock me if he was, like, gave them, you know, if he wasn't a decent game-managing starter. Yeah, if he was a good Pitt quarterback, it wouldn't shock me. But you're not going to have a guy like Connor, I don't think. Um, stepping in, uh, Quadric Henderson's a nice player. Allison's um, pretty good though, and he because he was the starter two years ago when Connor went down. Oh, I forgot. I kind of forgot Allison got hurt. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's a nice, a, a decent combo there. Um, so yeah, I think that they'll be pit. Like I, I don't think they're going to be like a, a four and eight team by any means. Um, but if the defense doesn't get a lot better, and at this point you're kind of like hoping they get better by uh, subtraction, considering the numbers they lose and the the just awful, awful production last season, um, it's hard to see them, like, topping out, like, going, you know, above where they were last year, which was one of the, you know, better non-like non, top 25 teams in the country. Um, and if that defense is really, really bad again and they don't have the explosive offense, then, yeah, that's definitely against your Houston win because they stored 60 points on them last year. Right. And, yeah, like, this is going to be a big test for Matt Canada. Like, let's see... Let's see what happens when you leave this team. I mean, yes, peace is left with you, but let's see what happens when Canada leaves. Like, we'll have a pretty good gauge of, of how good he is based on Syracuse alone, with Syracuse going up against Matt Canada down at LSU, and then Syracuse going up against a Matt Canada-less pit a, a few weeks later. Yeah, it'll be an interesting A-B test. Uh, and I don't know that I look forward to one half of those, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I struggle to think that Pitt will, will be the same thing on offense as they were last year, which was, like, really, really, like, unexpectedly good. So, um, no, they should take a, a, a decent step back on that side of the ball. Um, now, if, if Narduzzi was able to turn around the defense, even with, like, almost an entire new starting 11, it wouldn't be the craziest thing, but I can't imagine them taking, like, such a giant leap forward where they're, like, a top-20 unit or anything. So, I think... I think that they're most likely going to be, you know, a sits and sits team ish, and there's no reason why Syracuse can't pick up that kind of win. Better. Um, as we're wrapping up here, uh, Dan, I think we're both aligned on who wins the uh, Atlantic and who wins the conference. But 
Who wins the Coastal Division? The, the, the critical question every year. I want to say Miami. Um, the quarterback uh, situation kind of scares me. But, like, in this conference, like, what, I mean, in that, in that division, what quarterback situation doesn't, really? Like, Virginia Tech would be the obvious answer, but... Uh, but Duke is, not, is a non Yeah, but Duke's not very good. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah, Duke, Duke's, Duke's the answer. Duke has probably the most solid quarterback in that, or at least, you know, the most known uh, quarterback in that uh, division, yeah. but Duke's not very good this year. Uh, I think they probably will bounce back next year in two years. is actually worse than ours, somehow. Yeah, another pretty bad defense, which we were playing them this year. Um, I'm going to go Miami just based on the talent. I think Rick is a good enough coach and a good quarterback coach, and he'll uh, kind of figure out what he's, you know, something from the the guys they have in there. Uh, I'm not even sure who the, who the is it uh, Rozier or Sheriffs? Like, do we know who the projected starter is at this point? I think Rozier is the projected starter. Um, and I think they're between Jack Allison and Sheriffs. Uh I mean, maybe Vincent Testaverde gets gets involved. <laughs> Vinny, Vinny Jr. Can Vinny Jr. please get involved? That'd be great. But, you know, they have uh, they just have enough across the board. Uh, Amon Richards is awesome. Um, Mark Walton's back, too, right? At running back? Uh, Walton is actually... Yep, Walton is, he? is back. He, he is... Is probably the. I think I put him in my like ACC power rankings. I think I put him as the uh, the conference's best running back. In my yeah, opinion. I knew they lost because Gus Edwards transferred and Joseph Yearby uh, transferred or graduated. I know they lost a couple running he backs. Just graduated. Yeah, so Wallen's been back there since like Duke Johnson was there. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> he's <laughs> he uh, he's kind of the the connective tissue between the uh, this and the Al Golden years. Um, they still have Braxton Berrios, I think, who's a pretty dangerous player. Um, yeah, so there's just a lot. Yeah, the, I just think there's enough good. talent. Amon Richards is great. Um, I think there's enough talent across, uh, uh, you know, a board on offense to to lift up whoever's uh, coming in at quarterback. And the defense is very, very well stocked. Um, secondary is kind of an issue, but I, I just feel the most comfortable with Miami. I don't think they're going to be a, a great challenge to Florida State or Clemson. I, I have Florida State, which I think we all assumed. Um, but I, I think this could be the year that Miami finally, after over a decade, uh, reaches the ACC title game. Yeah, I, you know, I, I do buy it. For a long time, I actually had Georgia Tech for some reason. Um, in my, like, I, I know you've seen it, my, like, mad scientist predict every single game grid, and then I actually predict each week's top 25 according to the grid. Um, and that project probably starts in February. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking at the schedule one more time. I think, like, the non-conference doesn't really have, like, this is not going to be a playoff resume no matter what. The non-conference, their big game is against Notre Dame. Uh, everything else is, is, should be a very uh, assured win. But the, the dates at Florida State, I think the Virginia Tech game is going to be telling later in the year. Um, and maybe Georgia Tech. Like, that's really all that, that should scare you um, if you're Miami. Um, looking at this schedule, and I mean, if you go 11 and 1, 10 and 2, like that's that's reachable even for a Miami team that might only be about top 20, top 25. Yeah, I think I buy that. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I think that was everything for the ACC. Um, there are other teams too, but they're not that they're not all that interesting. 
they're not that interesting. It's getting late. So, yeah, we will uh, we'll, we'll leave everyone to their own imagination about what we think of those teams. Um, next week, as mentioned, we'll have the, uh, the typically long um, Syracuse full season preview. We'll go through every single position, uh, jump through, you know, players that might surprise, players that might not. Um, freshmen to watch the whole deal. We'll go game by game as well um, and give our picks. Uh, so, yeah, should be a fun week. Uh, Dan, thank you, as always, for joining today. Much, much obliged. Yes, of course, uh, as always. I love doing it, and we are very close. We are very close, everyone. So, so close. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on any other service, and uh, go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.